in the 80s, you had a lot of uh, drive-by shootings. That was like the beginning of drive-by shootings. And I just didn't like drive-by shootings. I, I thought they were not personal enough. Um, you know, I thought, you know, just anybody could get in the car and shoot from a window. Screwdrivers and ice picks were the weapons of choice for Casey Diaz. For me, it was uh, capturing somebody, uh, a rival gang member with my hands, and stabbing them. And so uh, that's what gave me a lot of fame in the streets of Los Angeles. Casey Diaz was only 16 years old when he went to prison for murder. But his transformation from a bloodthirsty gang leader to a passionate follower of Christ is truly amazing. And we're sharing it with you in two parts over the next couple of weeks here on GPS, God, People, Stories. It's an outreach of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. I'm Phil Fleischman. And I'm Jim Kirkland. A little later in this episode of GPS, you're going to also hear Billy Graham talk about the very same kind of trouble that Casey Diaz was in as a teenager. And one of the reasons that we have so much teenage vandalism and crime and all the rest is because many of our teenagers today want a leader. They want authority. They want something to dedicate themselves to, and they don't have it. There's one cause, one leader who will totally transform your life, and his name is Jesus Christ. You can learn more about making the decision to follow Jesus Christ at this website, findpeacewithgod.net. That is findpeacewithgod.net. Hey, if you've been a GPS listener for a while, thank you. We appreciate it. You know, you can email us at uh, gps at billygram.org. And if you are a first-time listener, well, we'd love to hear from you, too. Let us know where you're listening from, uh, what you think about the episode, or anything else you'd like to share with us. Again, the address to send your email is gps at billygram.org. GPS. God. People. Stories. So I was born in El Salvador in 1972. I was brought here when I was two years old um, to Los Angeles by my parents. Casey Diaz's parents actually named him Darwin when he was born, but he hated that name. So when he was a little boy, he demanded that everyone, for reasons even unbeknownst to Casey, call him Casey. Casey's mom worked as a seamstress from very early in the morning to 10 or 11 o'clock at night to provide for the family. His dad was a drug dealer, and he was abusive. And that was Casey's first encounter with violence. Here my mom comes from long hours of work trying to provide uh, food for the table and, and a roof over her head and uh, and just to get assaulted by my father uh, brutally. And that, that just happened, I mean, almost every other day um, uh, of the week. Uh, I, don't, I don't recall one week where that didn't happen. As a child, Casey felt helpless watching his dad relentlessly abuse his mom. That helplessness turned into anger and then rage, and there was no sense of hope for the future. We never went to church. Nobody ever told us about the Lord or, or anybody or, or the, the Bible. Um, we had absolutely zero religious background in our household. Casey was just eight years old when he witnessed violence of a higher level. He was sitting out on the fire escape of his apartment, feet dangling over the street, just watching the world go by. 
As usual, his parents weren't around. There was nobody keeping an eye on him. I'm doing my routine of hanging out on the fire escape, and uh, I see a man just park his car, and he gets out of his car, and then there's three guys uh, coming up on this alley, and this guy who gets out of the car walks right up to him and puts a bullet in each one of them. And then, you know, he goes in, in order, and he goes back to the first guy, shoots him again, and then... Um, reloads, and then finishes them off. Uh, so he executes all three of them, and he has no awareness that I'm up on the fire escape there just watching the whole thing. The man just calmly got back in his car and pulled away, as if nothing had happened. Seeing that changed, Casey. For me, it was, um, this is how you handle things in life, I guess. It kind of desensitizes you from violence, and uh, it, it becomes very cheap, uh, life does. At least it portrays it like that by others. It's not surprising then that Casey began to get involved with a gang by the time he was 11. I think as a boy, as a young man in a neighborhood like that, if you don't have a dad or a father figure or any kind of role model, a positive role model to show you the ropes of what needs to be done in life to succeed, someone else will. That's not a good um, person to, to follow. And that's what I felt. And, you know, the street gang became a family. Of course, now it's a false sense of family, but nonetheless, it was a sense of family. And I think that's what I gravitated most to. The name of the gang was the Rockwood Street Locos, and they welcomed Casey into the fold. In fact, he was one of the youngest boys in the gang, and a teenage leader quickly took him under his wing. Soon, that leader took Casey with him to track down a rival gang member. At first, we were just jumping him, and then um, he took out a screwdriver and started to stab him and continued to stab him multiple times. And then he kind of stopped and he looked at me and handed me the screwdriver and he said, uh, and it was just very normal to him. Uh, he says, uh, your turn. And so my first stabbing was at uh, 11 years old. Over the next five years, Casey rose through the ranks of the Rockwood Street Locos. He broke into homes and cars. He ransacked convenience stores, robbed people. But what really earned him a reputation in L.A. was his affinity for stabbing rival gang members. In the 80s, you had a lot of uh, drive-by shootings. That was like the beginning of drive-by shootings. And I just didn't like drive-by shootings. I, I thought they were not personal enough. Um, you know, I thought, you know, just anybody could get in the car and shoot from a window. For me, it was capturing somebody, a rival gang member with my hands, and stabbing them. And so uh, that's what gave me a lot of fame in the streets of Los Angeles is that I'd go into an enemy's territory, get off the car, and chase him down, and have my way with him. Casey stabbed his victims, but he didn't do so with a knife. He didn't even like using knives. His go-to tools were screwdrivers and ice picks. He usually didn't carry a gun. But the crime that finally got him into deep trouble was a shooting, and that led to a charge of second-degree murder. Casey was 16 years old. He was pretty high up in the gang, and he was by himself in a stolen car when he stopped at a fast food place. A pickup truck full of rival gang members pulled up and spotted him inside the restaurant. They came out to jump me. They had uh, some sticks, some, a bat, a crowbar, and a fight ensued inside the restaurant. So, you know, I, I tried to fight as much as I could, but I knew I was outnumbered. I ran out in the stolen vehicle. I had a uh, one-shot shotgun, and it was a sawed-off. The guy with a crowbar uh, came up to me um, and the crowbar was, he was about to hit me in the face with it. I was able to turn around while I was inside the car, and I fired. 
his body just kind of went airborne a little bit. It was kind of like you're looking at somebody getting pushed very harsh. And he fell out. I took the shell out. And I reached in my pocket to get another one. And I, I loaded it again and proceeded to uh, shoot him again. And it happened uh, several times. And then uh, I ran. I left the car there. After that, uh, I was on the run for 21 days. It was then that Casey was finally caught by the LAPD. The gang member he shot had died. And when the police came for Casey, they came out in force. He was hogtied and tossed into the back of a police cruiser. But his gang life was not over. Mm-mm. Not by a long shot. If, if anything, it only intensified after that. Casey was tried and convicted of second-degree murder, as well as 52 counts of armed robbery and sentenced to more than 12 years in prison. In prison, he was a big deal. He quickly became what's known as a shot caller for a prison gang. It's pretty much what it sounds like. He called the shots. The authorities at the prison knew about the internal gangs, and they knew Casey was heavily involved. When he was transferred to New Folsom State Prison in Sacramento, they decided he would have zero opportunities to cause any more trouble behind bars. He would spend the rest of his sentence in solitary confinement. You're given a white pair of shorts, a shirt, a blanket, one roll of toilet paper, and that's all you have in your cell. There is nothing, there's no windows, no clocks, there's you lose track of absolutely everything that has to do with outside. And you're in there for 23 hours of the day. And the solitude in there can drive somebody nuts. I mean, we, we were used to seeing people start talking to themselves eventually, lose their minds, start screaming, yelling uh, to themselves. And that was the last stop. I mean, there was no other stop after that. There was no rubber rooms. There was no, if you did anything, you, you're staying in that cell. You would be cuffed uh, or, you know, on restraints, and they'll leave you there for hours or, you know, whenever they felt like it. One day, when Casey was lying on the bed inside his 8-by-10-foot cell, he heard an older woman's voice outside. She was asking the guard who was in the cell. How I knew that they were talking about me at that point was when he said, uh, you know, that's Diaz in there. I'm there, you know you're wasting your time. And uh, her response was, Jesus came for everyone. The woman who said that was part of a church that held monthly Bible studies at the prison. She had been pestering the guard to approach Casey's cell. Eventually, after enough pestering, he gave her permission. She invited me to partake of this Bible study. I said no. And uh, I wasn't disrespectful. I just, it was a firm no. I, I didn't want nothing to do with that. She said something very colorful. You know, I'm, I'm going to put you on my, on my hit list, on, on my prayer hit list. And, and Jesus is going to use you. And I thought, this lady's nuts. You know, this lady has lost her marbles, man. Like, what are you talking about? And who's this Jesus that you're talking about? Like, what? The woman kept coming back month after month for over a year. Casey never agreed to go to the Bible study to hear about Jesus. Instead, you could say, Jesus came to him. He had something like a vision in his cell. At first, he didn't know what was happening, and he thought he was going crazy, actually. It looked like a movie was playing on the wall, a movie about his own life. But that wasn't all. I see um, a man carrying a cross, and I see crowds of people around him. I knew that they were angry, they were shouting. And whoever's carrying this cross, they're looking at me. He's looking at me, and I remember hearing him say this to me. He said, 
Darwin, I did this for you. He called me by my name. His real name, the one he had stopped using years ago. It was an experience that shook Casey to his core. And he saw a lot of other things in his cell that day. He tells the whole story in a book he wrote that is titled The Shot Caller. But here's the important thing you need to know right now. That day, Casey encountered Jesus Christ, and he's never been the same. For the very first time, I had remorse for what I did. And it wasn't that I didn't know that stabbing people was a wrong thing to do or killing somebody was a wrong thing to do. I think we all know that. It's naturally built in us that we know certain things are wrong to do. But we're not born with the knowledge that it's not just a wrong thing to do. It is that we're sinning before a holy God. And that moment is what got me. I knew right there, no one had to explain to me, I knew that I had sinned before a holy God. And I remember just on my knees in there for I don't know how long, weeping and and telling God for the very first time, being very honest with him and saying, you know, um, I'm sorry for stabbing this guy and I'm sorry for stabbing that guy. And, And it went on for hours, man. Just I'm sorry for tying these people up. I'm sorry for setting that house on fire. You know, I I mean, it was just raw. And the peace that was in this cell, nothing will ever, ever even come close to the experience of freedom that I felt that very moment on my knees in that cell. After Casey confessed his sins to God, he banged on his cell door and asked to see a chaplain. The guard thought he was just messing around with him at first, but eventually he did arrange for Casey to meet with a chaplain. They escorted me to a room, and he was there. I explained to him exactly what had happened in that cell, and I remember he started weeping. One of the reasons the chaplain started weeping was because Casey was explaining events from the Bible even though he had never read it. And the chaplain went on to explain to him, from the Bible, how Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for Casey's sins and everyone else's sins, too. He also told Casey how Jesus rose from the dead. That day, Casey started reading the Bible and getting to know Jesus. There was something else Casey had to do, something that would put his life in grave danger. We'll tell you about that in the next episode. For right now, though, we'll let Casey take us back to that moment in his cell when it was just him and God. I mean, nothing compares to that moment. There was just this tremendous amount of freedom in my heart. And I know now that it was just the freedom from sin, the freedom from a life of violence and, and all that stuff that God had changed my heart right then and there. All my chains are broken And I feel so free I can breathe Maybe you've been praying for God to change the heart of someone you care about. Or perhaps maybe you need God to change your heart. He can do that, and he can do that today. We want to invite you to go to findpeacewithgod.net. That's findpeacewithgod.net. Jesus Christ can meet you right where you are, right here, right now. Go to findpeacewithgod.net. Hey, in just a minute, we're going to give you a quick preview of the next part of Casey Diaz's story. You're listening to GPS, 
God, People, Stories, a production of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Teenagers are committing almost unbelievable crime. Billy Graham. The Bible teaches that there is to be a respect for human life. Thou shalt not kill. You say, but do you think God holds these teenagers responsible for their murders? He holds them responsible just as much as if they were 60 years of age. And one of the reasons that we have so much teenage vandalism and crime and all the rest is because many of our teenagers today want a leader. They want authority. They want something to dedicate themselves to, and they don't have it. Oh, listen. Why don't you give your life to Jesus Christ and dedicate yourself to Him? Now there's a call. Come and give your life to Christ in commitment and surrender and dedication to Him and say, tonight I receive Him as my Lord and I'm going to follow Him. Would you like to know more about what happens when you dedicate your life to following Jesus Christ or how you go about making that decision? We can help. Go to this website that we've mentioned several times. It's findpeacewithgod.net. Again, that's findpeacewithgod.net. Our guest on part one of a special two-part GPS has been Casey Diaz. Next week, we're going to share the second part of his story. And let me just say, it truly qualifies for the use of the word amazing. Yeah, amazing and scary. Because once Casey turned his life over to Christ, he knew he had to renounce his gang involvement. And that's one of the most dangerous things you could ever do inside a prison. I told him, I said, hey, uh, I just want to let you know from here on out, uh, I have nothing to do with this anymore uh, and that I'm a Christian. And they kind of looked at me. None of them said not a word to me. They just turned around and walked away. And it's the initial, that move right there has a lot of meaning. That move right there meant a green light was placed on my life and uh, a hit had to be done on my life. They had to take me out for uh, stepping down from, from a high-ranking position like that. Casey's going to explain what happened next when we come back next week with the rest of his story. You know, GPS is one of several audio features you can get delivered right to your inbox when you sign up for our weekly e-newsletter. It's called Weekend Encouragement, and it includes GPS, as I said, as well as a message from Billy Graham and a little one-minute audio devotional, too. You can sign up for it by going to billygraham.com dot org slash subscriptions. You enter your email address and then you follow the prompts. Make sure you select Weekend Encouragement from Billy Graham Radio and you'll never miss a GPS episode. Again, go to billygram.org slash subscriptions. Thanks for listening. I'm Phil Fleischman. And I am Jim Kirkland. GPS, God, People, Stories. It's an outreach of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Always good news. Good news.